Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The landscape of college football continues to change. The landscape of some MLB playoff races continue to change. And even the landscape of the National Football League continues to change, albeit early in just week one. Some teams very much disappointed. Other teams shocked. The typical storylines, for one, the National Football League. As we say on the show, nobody circles the wagons quite like them, and we will get to them. Just to give you all, it's like dangling a carrot in front of a horse. We have to do that with the National Football League to make you listen to at least a little bit of our show. Starting in the college football world, some upsets, some close games, some wows so far early going in up to week two of the college football season, entering week three now. One of the main ones was a game that was highly touted a game that was supposed to be in hand for one of the best teams in the country. Alabama went down to Texas, 20-point favorite. People thought this would be an easy go for the Crimson Tide. But Quinn Ewers, the young gunslinger, Texas, first quarter, here they are. Is Texas back? And then, of course, he gets thrown to the ground, hurts his shoulder, has to come out. His backup quarterback, Hudson Card, hurts his ankle. He's hobbling around the rest of the game. And somehow, some way, it takes a game-winning field goal from Alabama to win the game. And that begs the question for people now, as it always does, because immediately wins and losses, thoughts go to the college football playoff. What does this mean for Alabama? Should we be worried? Are they deserving? Will they make it to the national championship now because they played Texas so close? Those are the questions that people even though it's early, for whatever reason, need answers to. I just thought it was nice to have an exciting game with Alabama in it. There's nothing better than a close game with Alabama where you can root like hell for the other team just to see some chaos in college football. And that's exactly what we got out of Texas. And it kind of shook things up in the top four to make things a little bit more exciting, which I think is never a bad thing in college football. So while it was not a win, At least Texas showed us a little something, gave Alabama a little scare, and I think that's always good for college football. I don't know if you felt the same way to get a little shakeup going in the early weeks here in college football. Well, in in terms of what we saw, it was an Alabama team that was just, they played awful. It's as simple as that. I mean, you you don't see a Nick Saban team commit double digits in penalties they looked out of sync on offense. They looked like they were affected by the crowd. Their offensive line did a miserable job of protecting the quarterback, who wasn't very good until the fourth quarter. And Texas played, I thought, the better game throughout. They had a couple calls go against them that were 
I'm not going to say outcome determinative, but they certainly didn't help matters. And Bama gets out of there by the skin of their teeth. And again, they did not deserve to win. But, you know, the bottom line is next to their name, the number of losses is says zero. And that's all that matters. You know, whether Alabama wins by 50 or they, they win by five. If they don't lose, you know, Alabama's going to be one of the top two or three teams in the country, if not the top team in the country. And they came out, I'm not going to say unscathed, because their reputation took a hit. Their quarterback, their Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, took a little bit, took a lot of hits. But he took a little bit of a hit. But at the end of the day, he came up big. He pulled a Houdini, escaped the sack, scrambled for a first down, uh, got them down the field. and. Normally, an Achilles heel of Alabama in big games uh, came up big. Their field goal kicker split the uprights, and it wasn't a chip shot. It wasn't a 22-yarder. It was, uh, I believe, 38, 39, uh, something like that, and never a doubt. And how many times in tight games have we seen the Alabama kicking game fail? So, for once, that came through. But it, it was by no means the performance of a national championship-looking football team. And... The thing that amazes me is when I watch their quarterback play, <laughs> he looks teeny. He looks so small on the field with other college guys. He looks like he was about 150 pounds soaking wet. Looks so like you can break him in two. Uh, but he, he's a great player. He came up big when they needed to. But they were so out of sorts on both sides of the ball. Silly penalties on defense by their All-American Anderson. Procedure penalties, holding penalties. They just looked like they weren't ready to play, uh, which is something we never see from a Bama team. Rarely do we ever see them come up flat. And they had the long touchdown run to take the lead and then basically did nothing for a good chunk of the rest of the game. So, But you know, to me, the more uh, important games of note in terms of you know, topsy-turvy upset specials or Texas A&M and obviously Notre Dame. And yep. you know, I'll let you take the take the baton from there. And then your thoughts on those two, uh, you know, to the rest of the world, stunning losses. Yeah, and it's early, as everyone loves to say, but coming into this season, the narrative around Texas A&M, oh, they're recruiting. One of the best recruiting jobs we've ever seen. Jimbo Fisher knocked it out of the park this year, next year. You just wait and see. They've done the best recruiting job that they've done ever. Now, maybe they're play, paying their players. Now, Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher had those fun back and forths coming into this season. That was storyline for several weeks going after each other about paying players. Oh, we don't pay our recruits. You worry about your stuff. Let's pull up the rug and see what kind of bugs are underneath it. It was great. And then the season came and everybody kind of forgot about it. Coaches swept it under the rug, no pun intended again, and that was the end of that. But Texas A&M at home against Appalachian State, a team that loves this narrative, being the underdog, going into another place, and having an upset happen. Chase Bryce, you may remember his name from such stints as the Clemson backup quarterback, the Duke quarterback, now quarterbacking for Appalachian State, had an incredible game to open the season and kind of show people that he's ready to rock when they dropped 40 points in the fourth quarter against North Carolina, somehow still lost the game in a shootout. Now they go to Texas A&M and you think, well, there's no way they could do something like that again. And you were right. They only scored 17 points. 
but they held Texas A&M to 14. And dominated. What the hell are you doing, Texas A&M? This is at College Station. This is Appalachian State against Mighty A&M, number six in the country. Not only did they beat them, the time of possession was, I believe, rounding. I believe it was 41 to 19. 41 minutes to 19. I believe they ran close to 50 more plays than A&M. A&M got dominated. The only reason they didn't get blown out is because they ran the ball. They ran it down the throat. They ran it with patience. They didn't hit a lot of big plays, but they kept the ball away from A&M. A&M couldn't score. A&M didn't have a chance to score. And when they did have the ball, uh, he's a kid. He's a prize recruit. But at least in this game at home for a national TV audience, Appalachian State, their freshman quarterback did not look like he was ready for prime time. And I think I'm being kind. Uh, their offense looked miserable. Uh, they could do nothing uh, in, in the few times that they got anything going. They just couldn't control the football. They could have no, no sustained drives. They didn't throw it well at all. They didn't run it well. And they got pushed all over the field. They got pushed all over the field. Think about that time of possession. And remember, this is their own building. And those number of plays. More than double the number of plays by Epstein. Understand, they got the experienced quarterback, knows how to run an offense, but still thoroughly dominated at home by Appalachian State from the Sun Belt Conference, no less. The Sun Belt. It's a great week, too, for the Sun Belt. Great week, too, we for just, the Sun Belt. We, 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 we just started. We just started. Then you have round two. Where do we go from, where do we go from College Station? We go to the Golden Dome. A team we talked about when we did our overview preview of what we thought college football might be in Notre Dame losing to Ohio State 21-10, but still not looking awful. I mean, Ohio State's supposed to be a great respectable, team. Respectable. Respectable in the big horseshoe. I thought they'd lose by 35. Here we go. Time to rebound. You get a home game against Marshall. We'll right the ship and figure things out. And before you know it, you're getting notifications on Twitter and Things are flashing on TV. Hey, get to the Marshall game. We're looking in for an upset here. What? <laughs> an upset. Henry Columbia, quarterback in the herd, is going to upset Notre Dame at home? What's going on over here? Sure enough, Tyler Buckner gets hurt. Drupinus to come in. The wheels start coming off the cart at the end. And it was just one of those games that you never want to have happen to you happen at the most inopportune time where now you're 0-2 to start the season. Folks are coming already for the head of the Notre Dame head coach because he has three consecutive losses to start his career. That's the first time that's ever happened. So not a list Marcus Freeman wants to be on. Now, granted, the first loss was in a bowl game, so take that for what you will. I'm not exactly sure why they're counting that. It's a little unfair in my opinion. Still 0-2, not much better. But now this is a Notre Dame team that you thought would rebound See how many wins, wins you can rattle off. Schedule's not too difficult until you go and host Clemson, but they're not necessarily grand. You had BYU on your schedule. That's at home as well. And then you get to 
go to USC to end the season and put all the chips on the table, see what happens. Now you're 0-2, and you, it's over, right? That's it. Notre Dame, you would think, is done from college football playoff discussion after just two games. It's incredible to see that happen to a team like Marshall, of all teams. What happened, Notre Dame? What's going on over there? What do we do? Well, the, the common denominator in both these games with the stunning upsets were both quarterbacks didn't look like they were ready to play at this level. Buckner was pretty good against Ohio State. They moved the ball a little bit, but their defense was very good. And Ohio State, which has been known the past really decade now for their aerial attack and far away from the three yards and cloud of dust. Yes, they run the ball, but not the way they used to. They, like all great college programs, have been dominated by the passing game and the aerial circus and all their wide receivers being first-round draft picks, but they dominated on the ground against Notre Dame. Thus, much more of a low-scoring affair than we thought, and the quarterback looked respectable. He was barely that against Marshall. He couldn't get it done in a big spot, and that's really what you have with A&M and Notre Dame. To me, that was a common denominator. You don't have big-time quarterbacks at either program, at least – the A&M quarterback is a freshman and a prize recruit. So we'll see. Obviously, it's only one game early in his, his freshman career. Buckner's been around, and he was not that effective against Ohio State. He was not that effective against Marshall. He doesn't look like much of a thrower. He's more of a running quarterback, but he's by no means an electric running quarterback. He's not a breakaway back, you know, a breakaway threat. We're not talking about, uh, you know, somebody runs like, uh, like Murray uh, did when he was in Oklahoma, uh, where he could bust one at any given moment, or Caleb Williams, ex of Oklahoma, now USC, who can break a 65-yarder. There's, there's nothing outstanding for either one of these teams right now at the quarterback position, and that, keep, that keeps you from being a national championship contender. You can't just be, you know, a game manager unless you've got a juggernaut of a team. And neither one of them do right now. Uh, we saw last year, you could argue that the Georgia quarterback was a game manager. But in the biggest of games against Alabama, he played terrific. And he came out in the second game against Alabama. He played terrific. And he did so again in their opener against Oregon. So you Football has become all about the quarterback position. And unless you excel there, you can't win championships. It's as simple as that. That, That's why at the NFL level, they become so ungodly paid, and that's why they're so sought after at the college level. If you don't have one, you can't win big time. You just can't do it. Well, it's similar to another game that happened in. I know – not a lot of people are watching Baylor games in general, and especially not watching it when it starts at 10:15 Eastern time at night and goes well into the morning. That was our Hawaii game since they played a little bit earlier against Michigan. They lose 26-20 to BYU at BYU in double overtime, which on paper, a respectable loss. BYU is the 21st ranked team in the country. But Baylor was one of these teams that, decided its quarterback battle early. They did so in spring football. Dave Aranda named Blake Shapin his starting quarterback. He told Jerry Bohannon, listen, man, thanks for the memories. 
but I'm going to let you know you're not going to be the guy so you can go transfer and play somewhere else, which is exactly what he did, and he's a starting quarterback elsewhere, which not many coaches would do because they don't want to lose their backup, but then it puts them in a position where they're kind of lost. Now what? And especially as we move forward where the transfer window and portal opportunities aren't as easy as they've been these last couple of years with the COVID protocols. It was a good move by Dave Aranda, to be honest about it. Like, listen, here's who we're going with. So if you're a fan of Baylor, you thought, all right, this is our guy. But toward the end of the game, in the fourth quarter, all they're doing is running the football, running the football, running the football. They ran the ball something like 52 times, and they were only averaging like 2.9 yards per carry. On top of having 114 penalty yards, which has to be a record for a Dave Aranda team, at least the last couple of years when they've been good, just sloppy football. And then you have this guy under center that you think can sling it around and get them out of these holes, and they refuse to go to him late. So they lose that game, and now they're going to have a battle ahead of themselves, having to pretty much run the table and get to a Big 12 championship game out of that. We had Kentucky make fools of Florida in the swamp. You know, we were getting talks about Heisman candidates coming out of Florida after just one game. Here's our guy, Anthony Richardson. Heisman candidate. No touchdowns. What, 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 one, one wonderful game. One wonderful Heisman game to start, and, and then no touchdowns. 3.8 QBR, Al, against Kentucky. Two picks, no touchdowns, 143 yards. Yeah, looked awful. Terrible. Looked awful. And you can now, Notre Dame is, to go back, to, they're done. From a, net, from a national playoff scenario, they are effectively eliminated. You know, it's one thing to lose your opener to Ohio State, the big horseshoe, respectable. Can go out, lose one more game maybe if everybody else has down years because you're Notre Dame, get some quality wins in there. But when you lose to Marshall at home in game two, uh, you can win the rest of your games. You're done. Absolutely done. There is zero chance that Notre Dame could be in the Final Four this year. The way things look now to update the AP Top 25 poll, Georgia has overtaken Alabama. As they should. As they should. Alabama now two. Ohio State is three. Michigan with their dual quarterback threats at four. Clemson five. Oklahoma six. USC seven. Oklahoma State eight. Keep an eye out for my Trojans. Kentucky nine. Keep an eye out for travelers. That's it. Because you look at their schedule, and you run into some trouble, maybe, finding a loss. Now, upsets happen, as we know. Oregon State hasn't looked awful to this point. They're going to host USC. Utah is still the 14th-ranked team in the country, despite having a loss. They're going to host USC. Notre Dame is going to be pissed off at the end of the season. Why not play spoiler? I don't think that's going to matter how pissed off they are. But the, the, the trouble spot. The biggest, you know, obviously they have to get by Oregon State to get to Utah. Right. But in terms of a, a skill set, caliber of team, the biggest challenge is Utah on the road. Yeah. Plain and simple. And look, they have a great coach. They have a wonderful young quarterback. They have skilled people. You know, they brought in the All-American, first-team All-American wide receiver from Pitt. So, as I said at the beginning of this season, I'm a huge Lincoln Riley fan. I'm a huge fan of the quarterback. The schedule is not that difficult. Watch out for USC. They could be in the Final Four. They could go undefeated. You heard it here first. 
And even with a loss, they still carry that brand, and they've got the storyline now with Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. You know the committee's going to look for ways to maybe try and get them in there despite being in the Pac-12. Like if there's choices to be made and it's not so cutthroat and so easy, I don't think they'll have a problem putting USC back in. If USC loses one game and wins the Pac-12 title, they're going to be a Final Four team. Right, you would think. Other teams would have to either go unbeaten or have a similar path and win. It's, it's, their not, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. They're going to be a Final Four team. I would agree. As it stands now, if, if that's how it works out, I'm not sure they wouldn't make it. Michigan, Michigan Ohio State, you have to play each other. Yep, they'll cancel somebody's each other gonna, out. So, somebody's going to lose. You know, if, if USC's one loss is at Utah in a competitive game and they bat out, that's it. Georgia, Alabama, one of them with a loss, maybe each with a loss. Ohio State or Michigan, USC. Right. There's your four. And don't give me Clemson, please, because their quarterback stinks. Also, he does. So they're not, they're not going anywhere with that quarterback. Now, if he makes the move to the hotshot freshman. As he did a couple of years ago, you never know. He's done it before. He could well do it again because, you know, from what I've seen so far, the only difference with this quarterback from this year and last year is 30 pounds. I think the, he looks yeah, mediocre. He does. Mediocre. You don't win national titles against this caliber competition with mediocre quarterbacks. You just can't do it. I agree. I Maybe you could worry about if you're USC that – a similar thing happens on the Big 12 side, and it's Oklahoma, say, that has one loss to either Oklahoma State or Baylor, and then they win the Big 12 championship. Now you kind of have to see, well, who's going to have the better conference? You would assume it's going to be the Big 12 overall, more competitive, better teams. Maybe that goes against them. So there's a couple scenarios, but I would definitely agree with you as of now. I don't, don't have as much US. confidence in Oklahoma because they don't have their coach anymore and they don't have their quarterback anymore. Yeah, it's still too early to figure them out yet. I mean, playing I Kent State, more from them. here we go. Kent State, they're supposed to blow them out of the water. It's 3 nothing. Kent State going late into the second quarter before they even scored. Now, but it was 33-33 to, to end. Part of my mindset here, but coaches are huge in college football. We know that. They are legends. They are championship winners. It's the same guys year after year after year after year. I am a Lincoln Riley fanatic. I think he is an unbelievable offensive mind and a great coach. And I think he is going to be at USC as long as he wants to be. To me, the next stop for him would be the NFL if he wants to go somewhere else. But I believe Lincoln Riley can do it USC in terms of returning them to success, the promised land, national prominence. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going back-to-back national titles like Pete Carroll did. But I think he has the chance to bring in that caliber of talent. They may just not be good enough to beat Alabama or Georgia. But then again, they might, Ohio State. But I truly believe that they are on the way back to being a perennial Final Four contender. And then obviously when we 
unfortunately expand to 12, they will be a perennial playoff team. I still don't like the fact that they're leaving the Pac-12. I can't believe that they're going to be in in, in the Big Ten. Uh, it just it, it, it doesn't it doesn't sit well with me at all. With you know California teams being in, in, in the Big Ten, um, and it, it, I try and forget about it as much as possible, especially when it comes to USA because I I just grew up with them in the Pac-8 and then the Pac-10 and now the Pac-12. They've always been the football juggernaut, the baseball juggernaut, and uh, it's going to be disappointing to me when they leave. It'll be interesting, too, the storyline for Lincoln Riley, because now he's the villain for leaving Oklahoma and going to USC. And then as he's building up his team, he's going to turn back into the villain again when USC leaves the Pac-12 to go to the Big Ten. So how long does he have to kind of slog away to build up his program before people accept him as somebody that could be the hero in slaying a Georgia or an Alabama or an Ohio State to win a national championship? Or is he just going to be the villain no matter what once he wins one? I wonder how people are going to view him as we move forward in these next several years with so many changes, him finally getting all his players even this this season in general, how he's going to do with Caleb Williams, et cetera. Then once they go to the Big Ten, like, is there going to be a time frame that it takes people to kind of accept him back into the, wow, he's a really great college football coach, or is he always going to carry around this ball of chain where it's like, I, no, I, I don't I like don't, this guy. I don't think it's going to take much more than, you know, this and next year because he's going to restore them to national prominence. And you know, people will once again realize, not that they don't already, realize he's a great coach. And you know, he brings them back onto the national stage. Yes, you need players, and recruiting is a part and parcel of it. But you know, sometimes you, you see the difference. Clay Helton, you know, why, why don't these other guys get players? When these guys get players, why don't they coach? Why don't they win? But obviously, they're, they're not as good at you know, coaching them up. Simple as that. You know, there's a reason the guys are more successful than others because they're better. Some coaches are just simply better. Program builders, runners, overseers, game planners, play callers, leaders, than other coaches. It's the cream of the crop and everything. He's in the cream of the crop mix. And I, I don't, could not understand an argument against that. To the National Football League. To update Al on the first Thursday night football game on Amazon Prime, he's one of those olds on the memes online of not being able to find the channel that the game was on tonight. Doesn't get Amazon Prime. Checking. Don't tell them we can't find it. We don't get Amazon. Checking the old box score. Listening on the old radio set. One of those. I'm gonna call Sportsron any second. (laughs) That's right. Steve Torrey will tell you what the score is. It's 27-24. The Chiefs recovered an onside kick at the end of the game here. Going to be able to run things out. Sloppy start. Chargers played like cowards in the early going. Had several fourth and ones. Questionable field position, but Brandon Staley likes pushing that envelope based on the stats and how the feel of the game is going. But Patrick Mahomes was playing shitty to start the game, so he punted on two of the three of them. And eventually you just assume the Chiefs are going to figure it out at some point. Keep your pedal on the gas. 
keep your foot on the pedal. There we go. And you have to do that when you play the Chiefs, especially in Arrowhead. Well, it was working. And then the Chargers get down to the one. And the Chargers did Chargers things. Herbert throws an interception. It gets returned all the way for a touchdown. That makes it 24-17. The Chiefs eventually get a field goal as the Chargers still can't figure things out. They score late, have to have an onside kick, and don't get it. So the Chiefs improve to 2-0 in the AFC West. That's the first loss for the Chargers. Chiefs now in a stronghold for the AFC West. I'll just read you the names of some of the division leaders, despite it being going into week two. Just for kicks, it's fun to see at the top of the AFC East, the Dolphins leading the way. Tied with the Bills. That's okay. The Steelers tied with your Ravens. AFC North, it's like the old days. The Steelers must have really found something at the quarterback spot, right? Texans and Colts leading the South with no wins. What is happening in the National Football League? The Seahawks are leading the NFC West, Al. The Vikings are leading the NFC North, tied with the Bears. What's happened after one week? Overreaction, everything like people like to do. As a Broncos fan, what a great way to cap off the week with a deplorable use of clock management by Nathaniel Hackett. Just completely clueless for how football has gone in lore, thinking that his kicker is going to have no problem splitting the uprights on a 64-yard kick when anybody with a brain would have ran over with some stats and told them, hey, man, nobody makes these things, okay? I don't know why you're so confident. History will tell you these don't go in. You know who doesn't even make these? Justin Tucker, the best kicker we've ever seen in our lives, still playing football. You're not at Mile High Stadium or whatever they call it now. What are you doing thinking that a 64-yard field goal is the answer when you just paid off the stadium mortgage to sign Russell Wilson and you don't think you could get five yards to keep the game going? You got Peyton Manning on the Manning cast calling for timeout 60-something times. They were counting how many times his hands were going together as he's frantically waving. Call timeout. What are you doing? Figure it out. Figure a play out. No, we got it. We got into Brandon McManus's range. He told us he can make it from 64. We got exactly to 64 yards away. Let's kick it and see what happens. And he fucking missed it in Seattle. On the revenge tour game for them, booing Russell Wilson as he ran out of the stadium. No respect for what he's done for that franchise, that shit franchise for however many years it was before he came to town. You could tell the loss didn't really affect me too much in week one. What stands out to you as the, uh-oh, or is it just something of, it's so early in the season, let's bump the brakes on everything, kind of see how things go in the next couple weeks? Well, two new coaches, two, two premier events. The one you just mentioned, your coach. First of all, your team, unfortunately, I thought was miserable. I think your new quarterback played very well. They hardly threw the ball down the field. But on the last, despite all that, Stupid fumbles at the one twice. Uh, on, on the last drive, why are you not, you're not calling timeout on, on third and 14? And get yourself squared away. Run your best play. You want, you don't call timeout. You run a, you don't run, but you wind up having to throw it, go out in the flat to Williams. And, you know, he gets you to fourth and five. 
And now you've decided that because you got to the 46, okay, I'm not going to go for it. We can make it from here. So I'm going to let – now, if you decide you're going to kick the field, well, the play is to let the clock run. I understand that because you make it, you want to give them no time remaining. But the point is, in the post game, he said, you know, we, we want to get to the 46. I'm like, oh, get to the 46. You got three timeout slots. I, I want to get to the six, not the 46. I want to give my guy, you know, a, a field goal attempt in the last play of the game or second last play of the game. And you, your goal was to get to the 46-yard line? When you got three timeouts left to start the drive, that was your goal. Uh, come on, you got Russell Wilson as your QB. How was your goal to, to go to the 46 yard line to get a 64 yard? I'd say that's where you wound up, but you didn't tell me that was your goal. I I, I don't get it. All right, that, that makes no sense to me at all. Well, if it and was then, for whatever stupid reason, why are you wasting all that time and then calling timeout? Because then once you miss it, he has the nerve to start calling timeouts when Seattle's well, kneeling the that, ball to run the timeout. That's that's book. Because once you miss it, the game's over. So that, that's really not the, the, the idea was we're going for the field goal and we want to leave as little time as possible. And then obviously he's using his timeouts still for something you know goofy to happen. Uh, you know, fumbled snap, whatever the case may be. But the point is, you know, you got to go for the fourth and five. I mean, it's not like Butker's got, excuse me, Butker. It's, it's not like, uh, you know, McManus has got this great record from outside of 60. He's right? one for eight career. We're not talking about outside of 50. We're talking about outside of 60. He's one for eight. So the, the odds of computing fourth and, fourth and five are better than they are a 60 plus yard field goal. So I, I just, I, I didn't understand the entire mindset of his plan on the last drive, period. Period. You know, I don't understand why he didn't use his timeouts earlier, throw the ball down the field, and try and get the ball as far down his field as possible for the easiest possible field goal. Don't understand it. Uh, and as a result, you wind up on the short end of the stick. You lose a game you should win, and Seattle's the only team in the division with a win. And the other surprise, obviously, we said do we even need to discuss them this week in, in the discussions of uh, how they're going to be this season, we bypassed them, and rightfully so. But the new coach for the New York Football Giants set down a, a, a new mindset. And I had a discussion with my little buddy, Michael Montclair, who wanted to know what I thought about him going for two. And th- he thought it was a bad decision because with that much time on the clock, you know, if, if they do make it, which they did, it doesn't guarantee the win. And if they don't make it, obviously, they lose the game. And my thought process was, I understand what you're saying, but it wasn't just about winning and losing. It was about creating a new mindset for the football giants. That's what it was about. Yes, it worked out. Yes, they won the game. And as per Mike, they still had and should have won. Tennessee still should have won the game. Got down the field for thanks to a couple holding penalties against the Giants. Got down the field for a forty seven was a forty seven yard field goal, which you would always expect a guy to make. And their kicker has made plenty of big kicks. He missed it. Giants win. I understand the scenario of, you know, you go for the tie there. 
But the point is, you're on the road. And with you on the road and a minute and change left, no, it doesn't guarantee victory. Yes, you're not making it guarantees loss. But the point is, you are creating a new mindset for the franchise. We're going for it. We're going for the win. I'm showing confidence in you guys. They'll make it. They'll make it. But what it instills in the group, forget about the fact that they made it and they won the game, which is huge. But I think what it instills in the group from the coach is a new mindset, a confidence, and something that hasn't been in this organization in a long, long time. And I, I, I love the fact that he, I love the fact that he went for it. Like I said, it wasn't the perfect scenario, as Mike and I discussed. It wasn't a, you know, if we make this, we're automatically going to win. There was risk involved, of course, because even if you made it, there was time left, and then you had the chance for the field goal. And if you didn't make it, you weren't going to get to get to go to overtime. Understood. But you have to like the approach. You have to like the new coach coming from a winning program, putting it out there on the line, and saying even before they got there, if we score we're going for two here on the sidelines he told his group that they were ready for it they were pumped for it and good for the giants good for the coach it's nice to see for a change because obviously giant fans have had nothing to cheer about in the last few years and those ones again how much they're going to cheer about this year we barely spoke about them last week except we don't except for us saying they don't deserve for us to be talked about they're they don't deserve for us to talk about them and i don't know how far they can go with this quarterback but the point is again like Lincoln Riley, coaches can and do make a difference. This coach made a difference. He pulled the trigger. He had the guts to do it. Made a good play call. Big win on the road against an AFC playoff team. 1-0. The Giants are looking down at the Dallas Cowboys. Crazy. And now Dallas, obviously, without Dak Prescott for In who the knows cellar. how long. In the cellar. Four weeks, six weeks. We can't get a right answer because you're listening to Jerry Jones give out medical advice. You're better off just staring at a painting and trying to decipher when he'll come back based off that information. But he's going to be out for at least a month, you'd assume. Terrible for them. They didn't look great even when he was playing. Didn't just dismal great. offense. Did, didn't look great. They looked that's – the, that's, the, that's the thing. They looked awful. <laughs> I understand Tampa's a good team. They have an excellent defense. They have a defensive-minded coach. But they looked horrible, horrible. Couldn't move the ball, three points. Uh, Again, I just don't understand the love affair with Dak Prescott. I don't understand the love. Obviously, America's team, Jerry Jones, star in the helmet. So, of course, I understand the love affair the Cowboy fans have for their team, loyalty, etc., of course. But I don't understand this constant buildup of Dak Prescott. I just don't think he's that good. To me, he is a top half of the league quarterback. I don't think he's a top 10 quarterback. I just don't. He's a nice player. He's not a great thrower of the football. He's now injury prone. He doesn't have the escape ability he used to have. He's a a, a good player. 
Top half means you're in the top 15 of the starting quarterbacks in the National Football League. I put him somewhere, you know, in, in the in the low double digits, 10 to 12, 13 in there. He, you know, he never comes to mind if you're going to ask me who are the top quarterbacks in the National Football League. Dak Prescott is never in the mix for me. Good guy, always handles it well in the post-game press conferences, win or lose or draw, hurt, always handles himself with class with the one exception, uh, you know, last year. And I, I, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. You know, and, and the, the receiver covered is barren, you know, with the exception of their uh, – of, uh, of Lamb out of Oklahoma. They have lost guys to free agency. They have lost guys to injury. They have lost guys to trades. And they, I just don't see it. I don't see the weapons at the skill position. Their offensive line is shoddy. Their defense is pretty good. But it's, it, I don't see them as being any better than the Eagles. And now without the quarterback, I don't see them as being as good as the Eagles. I agree. I agree. It was it was ugly to watch. And you wonder all the people that they've had on that team that they've let go or they didn't sign back. Why? I mean, you're in win-now mode. You think this is your guy at quarterback, despite a lot of people not believing such. Because it's, well, maybe next year. Well, maybe next year. Well, maybe we'll figure it out. And then an injury derails a comeback. And it just hasn't worked with that Prescott. But as I've said for now... More than a decade, nothing good will come to the Dallas Cowboys until Jerry Jones is no longer in ownership. So they have that burden to carry still. Doesn't matter who's on the team, who's playing quarterback. That's how it's going to go for them. There were some other, I don't want to say deplorable, but as a gambling man, some really losses. First one was the Bengals at home against the Steelers. I know that's a divisional game. I know it's always close. It's always within three. But the Steelers are rolling out Mitchell Trubisky, at quarterback. Joe Burrow's just gotten to a Super Bowl, despite a Super Bowl hangover surely coming. Come on, Joe. Let's see what happens. You could eke out a win against this team. Five picks, a fumble, probably the worst game you could possibly play, and yet it's still right there for the taking. And then we find out that the long snapper for the Bengals is hurt. And it doesn't matter that they have one of the best young kickers in the game of football. This dude can't get the ball back there fast enough. We get a blocked field goal. We finally get one snapped off in overtime. The laces are the wrong way because it was high. The kick sails into the crowd. Probably murdered somebody when so far left. It was one of those games where if you had the Bengals, I took them in a survivor pool. I should have hanged myself after the game because of it and took it literally, the survivor pool. Everything's going wrong, and you just think, despite this continuing and despite there's somehow still being a chance for them to win, there's no way it's going to happen. And sure enough, not only was it going to end in a tie, they lost the game. <laughs> it was worst-case scenario for them. It was, wow, it's going to end in a tie. I guess if you're a Bengals fan, you'll take it, obviously. And then they lose. 50 seconds left. You let Mitchell Trubisky drive down the field, and they finally were able to make a field goal win the game. Just a disaster for the Cincinnati Bengals. My goodness. 
Now, I know these guys aren't playing in the preseason games, clearly evident around the it league. It looked like it. It looked like it because their offensive line was, again, a sieve, despite the additions through free agency in the draft. But I have to ask you this question because I did not see it anywhere. I'm sorry if I missed the boat. Has that ever happened before? Has a team ever missed, in this case had blocked, an extra point with no time left on the clock to win the game? That's a great question. Slash in the last play of regulation? There was no time left on the clock. Or was there a second? Whatever. It, maybe there was a second, you know, because they, they don't time the extra point. But, you know, he, he throws the touchdown pass in the corner of the end zone to tie the game. And the, the entire world, including yours truly, is thinking, okay, Kansas City's going to make – going to or Kansas City. Cincinnati's going to win the game. This kid never misses. Yep. And it's still, it's still only an extra point. All right, got to be able to get it back there so we can get an extra point through the uprights. And he got it back there, but you know, in the center's defense, Fitzpatrick came through there like he was shot out of a cannon. Yeah. Like no, I, I he came through unscathed. How that happens, I have no idea. So a huge gap on special teams, and the ball gets blocked barely off his foot. I don't. I've never seen that happen before on the last play of the game. Fourth team made an extra point to win the game, and they didn't convert it. And then the overtime, obviously, was just it, – it, it was comical. I, I mean, they get the ball, drive down the field. Burrow was running for his life, dodging guys left and right, gets them close enough. They get conservative because they're concerned about getting sacked again. And he figures, all right, we're close enough now. And the snap is – Way high. He gets, does a good job getting it down, but laces up and bang, like you said, into the seats, far left, duck hook, and Trubisky throws a couple lame ducks up in the air, dying quails uh, that could have been picked off and instead get caught. And their kicker, who's made a ton of big kicks over the years, and it went doink earlier uh, on a long one, knocks it through. You knew he was going to make the second one. And, uh, Cincinnati gets stunned. I need your thoughts, though, on what happened with the Packers in, you know, in Minnesota. Yeah. Drop it, touchdown pass by one of the rookies. Uh, our MVP looking disgruntled, looking dismayed, yeah. looking aggravated. How surprised were you by only seven points for Green Bay? To their defense's credit, a big-time offense where theirs didn't do much was held to 21 points. It was eye-opening. I guess it shouldn't have been a surprise because, again, for whatever reason, we continue to talk about it. The Packers refused to get Aaron Rodgers' help at the wide receiver position. They gave away their best wide receiver to the Las Vegas Raiders and Devontae Adams. And, thought, and, had, two for, and, and had two first-round draft picks. And didn't. And this guy's a future Hall of Famer. It'll be fine. He'll make them into great wide receivers, which he's done in his career, and many great quarterbacks do. Just and look he probably at, will do in time. Just listen to this list, though, of the top five wide receivers in terms of yards. A.J. Dillon led the team with five receptions for 46. That's the backup running back, folks. Romeo Dubs, Dubs, D-O-U-B-S, four receptions for 37. 
Robert Tunyon's still in the league. He went three for 36. A Christian Watson, two for 34. Josiah DeGuara, two for 28. Aaron Jones, three for 27. Then Sammy Watkins still plays football. He went three for 18. A Jawan Winfrey caught a pass. The ghost of Randall Cobb caught two. And Tyler Davis had one reception for three yards. Who are these people? Meanwhile, you look over at Minnesota, Justin Jefferson, nine receptions, 184 yards, two touchdowns. You don't think Devontae Adams could have maybe helped you a little bit in that game, going back and forth with Justin Jefferson? And you let him walk down the road. Rodgers looked furious, as he should have. 67 Q, or, I'm sorry, 16 QBR, one pick, 195 yards. We mentioned it just a little bit ago. They don't play in the po- the preseason, so this is what you get the first week. Zero chemistry amongst these randoms that he has to throw the football to now, and it showed. And you're obviously playing in a hard place to play in Minnesota in division game always every year. But it just looked ugly, and you just got the sense at some points like, these are the dudes he's going to have to figure this out with. This is how you're you're having his swan song last couple seasons go out with these bums. You can't get him a couple names for the first half of the season that he could at least lean on before these other guys come around. It was grotesque watching that football game. Sammy Watkins. Sammy <laughs> most, Watkins. The most, the most oh, notable man. bunch. That guy uh, was wide open. He he broke Patrick Peterson's ankles. It was going to be his first career touchdown. What a moment. And he, he, it didn't even look like he's ever caught a football before. It was like you or I were sent out there, and they had the jug machine shoot a ball up like we were catching punts. That's how it looked when he went to catch it. What's happened, man? Right through his hands. And then that was it. In the first quarter, first couple plays, that happens, and Rodgers, it was almost like he checked out for the rest of the game. Well, if he's not going to catch that one, it's over. I'm done. That's it. I'm done. See you next week. We'll figure it out in practice. Jeez. Not great if you're a Packers fan. Not great Remember, they they got up to a miserable start last year uh, in game one. If memory serves me correct. Yeah. So I believe that they will rebound. He's simply too good not to. And the more they, you know, again, as you talked about before, didn't play in the preseason. Not a lot of time to build up the relationship. And Roger said in post game, we're going to hold their feet to the fire. You know, there's going to be drops. We've got to get, got to be better. Got to be better. Plain and simple. And I'm sure they will be. Uh, they got a good coach. They got a good defense. They got a great quarterback. Uh, I, th- I think they'll be fine. Thursday night football, 27 24 Chiefs. Herbert finishes 33 for 48, 334, and three touchdowns. One pick at the one where replay showed Gerald Everett was a little tired after they were running hurry up offense and tempo. He called over to the sideline to see if he could get subbed out, and they said no because they were trying to run a play fast. The pass that Herbert threw to him was like a little bit to his right, and he just gave it the like, eh, I'm good, I'm tired, and that's how Watson was able to pick it off and run back 99 yards, not as tired for the touchdown that proved to be the game winner. Apparently he's getting wrecked in the ribs all game long, and that's going to be a storyline to follow, how he's feeling after the game. He was getting wrecked from the Chiefs. He's getting x-rays. There'll be x-rays and all sorts of stuff. Patrick Mahomes, 24 for 35, 235, two touchdowns, no picks. He looked eh, to say the least. Slow start. Killed all my prop bets, all my over bets. Same thing for Austin Eckler. Just two interceptions called back. 
Three interceptions total, right? Uh, that didn't well, end up he, happening. Two called back and another one that two, had something two, two called back, one on a very – threw up for grabs, very shaky interference call. Yeah. And then one that was intercepted and should have been intercepted. And on the replay, it showed that as he went to the ground, the ball probably pointed ball, hit the ground. So they waved it off. Should have been an easy interception. Yeah. It was a terrible throw. So um, Mahomes got very lucky. He's a great player, but he got very lucky tonight. He did, and unfortunately, this is what happens to the Chargers. Like, that's a game you have to steal. Always does. you got to win that game. Always happens to the Chargers. You have to win that game. Always happens. Home, road, doesn't matter. How can I find a way to lose? The Chargers will. You have to play and not be afraid. You have to play Giants football, Al. You can't play scared. Once you tell your team you're not going to play scared, you have to put your money where your mouth is. Fourth and twos, fourth and ones. Brandon Staley was okay punting a couple times this game, and you can't do that against the Chiefs, especially at Arrowhead. You got to have a little bit of guts. You're going for for fourth and one deep in your own territory last year in the last game of the regular season. Right. It's week two. What are you doing now? Show some guts. What are you doing now? Take last the division. Year, last year you were stupid for doing it. This year you don't do it when you're supposed to do it. What am I missing? Makes no sense. You can't None. give the ball back too many times to Patrick Mahomes, no matter how poorly he's playing, and think it's going to work. It's like Nathaniel Hackett thinking that field goal was going to work. Give Look at the numbers, man. Eckler. Give that ball to Austin Eckler and let him get it done. Shameful. It's too bad, and we'll see if Justin Herbert ends up coming through the week unscathed. He's got the extra few days to rest, so right. you know, hopefully, and I'm sure they'll put him in a flat jacket. But he's a great young talent. You want to see him on the field. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they held him on a week. Week two beckons the National Football League, week three in college football, and we've got two home run races to keep an eye on, one in the American League as Aaron Judge tries to catch Roger Maris. And one in the National League as your Albert Pujols tries to catch 700. Both would be incredibly exciting for baseball. And at this point of the season, they're must-watch at-bats. As keep I your phone Nick open. Wright, keep your notifications open to watch them when I, they come to the plate. I texted our friend Nick Wright the other day, and my text was 762, 700, or both. <laughs> His response was both. Let's do it. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, for my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, I am Alvarado, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. Enjoy the NFL. Enjoy the MLB. Have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.